Coming up next, the Booking Reads, The Lord of the Rings, Book One. Everybody, welcome to the Booking. My name is Nathan Amers, and I'm your humble and obedient host. I'm really excited about today's podcast because we're going to talk about Lord of the Rings, a book that holds up surprisingly well. I think that's my hot take. Lord of the Rings is pretty good, maybe even great, arguably better than the movies. I don't know. We'll talk about it. We'll find out. Possible that Brandon and Jake both hate Lord of the Rings. Possibly. There's only one way to find out, though, and that's first introduce them and then have a discussion with them. <sighs> so. My name is Nathan Alverson, humble and obedient host. That's Brandon Chastine. Hey. The scholar who's a baller of reading. Yep. And Brandon, you want to introduce our third guy? I always love this um, honor. He is a pastor, and he's a master of sometimes reading and sometimes books. Mm-hmm. I like Originally, you were the scholar who was a baller of books. And you were- But a- you've always been the pastor who's a master of- Reading. reading. Oh, I yeah. see. Except for on Halloween's when you're the pastor who's a master of bleeding. That's <laughs> yes. right. I'm really good at bleeding. I like to imagine, I mean, I'm a scholar who's a baller of books that kind of also has the imagery of me juggling books because baller and juggling. Yeah, because we know that ballers, what they do is juggle. juggle. Right? Yeah. I don't know much about words. Words. <laughs> 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 Anyways, his name is Jacob Mitzel. Yeah. Hi, Jake. Jacob Kyle Mensel. Yep. Hi. J.K. Mensel. Right up there with B.S. Chastine, Brandon. <laughs> Scott Chastine. Yeah. Ah. Oh, you're the one that went there, Brandon. Yeah, I am the one who went there. Your mom gave you a silly name. Yeah, Nathan. Hey, we love your name. Or your name. Yeah, we do love your name. We also love your mom is what I was going to say. We do. Hi, Brandon's mom. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. Hey. hey. Transition into the thing. Okay. Hey, oh, it's Lord of the Rings. Transition. We're talking. <laughs> Wasn't that a great transition? It was. Ah, man. Now we're talking about Lord of the Rings. Hey, quick little bit of housekeeping. Yeah. Weeks ago, I got a missive from Return of the Jedediah asking yeah. us about Tolkien and racism. I know you guys, and don't worry, we're not going to talk about Tolkien and racism today, folks. But obviously, Jake's favorite topic, Brandon's favorite topic, they love talking about Tolkien and racism. Our friendship was founded on... Brandon saying, Tolkien was a racist. Fun fact, we're going to have a book we're producing about Tolkien and racism. Yeah, it's called Tolkien and Racism. Yeah. Uh, Point is, Jedediah had some questions and wanted some clarifications on whether we thought Tolkien was a racist. And he pointed out that Tolkien has a bunch of letters where he doesn't seem like a racist. And he wanted us to clarify our thoughts on that and about, you know, the black versus white of it all and the... The, <laughs> the the racial implications of it all. Yeah. And I told him we were going to do that a long time ago. Our Lord of the Rings discussions have been kind of broken up. And then you've got like, I don't want to blame COVID-19, but, you know, we haven't gotten to it yet. But we're going to get to it at some point in this discussion of Lord of the Rings when we get there. I think maybe the section, the, the taters section with Gollum, where they see the Oliphants go by and the men of the whatever direction the bad men come from. Is it, is it east? South. The men of the south. 
I think who, they always come from the South. Who are dark skinned might be a good place to talk about it. Yeah. Or maybe the Battle of Pelennor Fields. I don't know. There'll be a there'll be a place somewhere organically in, in this discussion to talk about it organically, and we will. I won't forget. If I do forget Jedediah, you're welcome to remind me, but I won't. Now, having gotten that piece of housekeeping out of the way, yeah. Let's talk about Lord of the Rings. Book one. Book one. Fellowship of the Ring. Fellowship of the Ring. Should be the other way around. Fellowship of the Ring. Ring. Book one. Book one. What'd you guys think? Coming to it again after all these years. Or a quick reminder. I had not read this since I was a young teenager. Jake, you read it when you were in your 20s or something like that, right? I read it for the first time time I was like 23, 24. And it was after after the movies had come out. Right. And... And you'd seen the movies. I had seen the movies first, yeah. And Brandon? I made it all the way through the Fellowship of the Ring with my family probably six or seven years ago. And they loved it. And coming back to it this time, I loved it. It was great. I had a lot of fun reading this. I think those were the words I used. I'm reading it right now to the kids. This is my second time through. The first time through, Jimmy Beam gave me my copies and said I can't become a... <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, Jimmy Beam was the only thing that got me through that my boring book. No, Jimmy Helped Beam me and Little Annie Oakley of guilt. <laughs> are supporters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Gave me the copies that I currently still have yeah. and am reading from. Yeah, so that was my first time. This time I'm reading it to the kids and I'm well ahead of everybody because I knew that eventually... We'd be doing it. Well, we'd be catching up to me. I can't read to my kids at the pace that we produce this stuff. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm in Return of the King right now with the kids. But nice. I suspect that it won't be long before you're pressing up on our reading. Before we sweep over you like the darkness of Sauron sweeping across free Middle Earth. Yeah, yeah exactly. That is gonna happen. That is gonna happen. Just like you know what else is coming up? What's that? I want to make sure I'm right about this. I'm sure you're already aware of this, Nathan. Yeah, we're twelve episodes away from two hundred. Yeah. We are very close. From We're going to have our 200th episode. We are our 200th oh. anniversary. Or not our 200th. Yeah, we've been doing this podcast so for 200 12, years, folks. 12 episodes. Well, yeah. no. From when this launches. It's like, I don't know exactly. 10 episodes It'll or It'll be so. 10 or 9 episodes. We're very close. But we'll have to, I'm sure we're going to do something fun for that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's when we're doing our, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to do our all of the booking fantasy draft. So we're going to do something kind of like our fantasy draft that we did last oh, Christmas. Sweet. But you'll be able to draw from all four years of books. So if you want Dracula to finally face off against Mr. Knightley, like he always should have, then this will be your big chance. Yeah. So I think that's what we're going to do. We've talked about various things. I don't know. We'll do something special for 200. And then we'll 50 episodes after that, we have the book of Larian. Yeah. I forgot about that, <laughs> which I still don't remember what it is. Neither do I. If anyone remembers old episodes of the book of Better than I do, which almost any of our listeners probably do. We have a cryptic Slack channel called the Bookalarian. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, <laughs> With no information. It has absolutely nothing. It says the channel purpose for purpose for episode 250 per episode 98. So we have a reference. Okay, it is here. episode 98. All right. And then that was created on May 31st, 2018. And we all joined it that day. And then on August 7th, 2019, Nathan. <laughs> Nathan writes the one comment that says, Brandon, what was the point of this channel? (laughs) Nobody responded. (laughs) Forward slash instead of question mark. (laughs) That is my my writing style, folks. (sighs) Um, 
Okay, well, we'll do the book of Larian, and it's going to be great. The best book of Larian that you can imagine. Now, or that anyone can imagine. By the way, listeners, if any of you wants to listen to episode 98 and tell me what's on there so I don't have to listen to it. <laughs> much obliged. <laughs> We'd be much obliged. <laughs> Ooh, the book of Larian? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, buddy. We're not going to have time to put together a live 200th. No, don't that's think. 12 weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> it was the big sleep part two. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm sure lots of people listen to that episode. Oh, man. A triumph of podcasting, if ever there was one, and literary criticism right there. <laughs> the big sleep part, too. Oh, this hey. is back when I was listening to all of our episodes. I managed to skip that one, though. Huh. It is the second to last episode before we hit Harry Potter. Right, because oh. Harry Potter, we started on our 100th, right? Was That's the, the right. whole thing? Yeah. Yep. Mm. First episode of Harry Potter was our 100th episode. Right. Maybe we'll have to revisit Harry Potter. <laughs> we gave Harry Potter away pretty cheap. Our 97th episode was the announcement of our 100th episode. <laughs> <laughs> Called padding, folks. <laughs> you, you try and do 52 of these things a year. It's not as easy as it looks. It's not as easy as it looks. But we make it look really easy. Yeah, we make it look easy. <laughs> I mean, take this podcast, for example. We've talked about absolutely nothing. And, <laughs> and it's not like we've actually been here for a while, even before this point. And no, Just trying no, to get no. something that works. <laughs> holy cow. Listen to this. Listen to the episode notes from- Yeah, yeah. holy cow. There's a holy cow in here, by the way, folks. You should know that. <laughs> and Jake really wants that holy cow to listen to him. Pay attention. <laughs> Give that cow. It's a taxidermy cow we have in the corner. Yeah, we have a- it's, it's, seating. Jake thinks it talks. <laughs> it's very strange. But it's sitting like Buddha. <laughs> the taxidermy has some holes. Dust is coming out of it. Yeah. <laughs> episode 97, 100th episode. Important announcement. <laughs> In this special bonus announcement episode, our heroes reveal what beloved book they're reading for their 100th episode celebration. Then a special guest shows up and threatens to, to derail their plans. Oh, no. <laughs> Was it Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. But basically, we have several episodes on, yes, Harry Potter planned. But we must get over how much money on Was Patreon it? It in order bucks? to release them. Sign up to support us. I'm going to guess 500 It was $500. Wow, people. Wow. Look what you have done. Yeah. Look what you've done. You little jerks. <laughs> Look what you made on. me do. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you so much. It's awesome how much this podcast has exploded in the last couple years. It's yeah. Been yeah. Really gratifying. Gratifying. Gratif- I, I, I'll tell you what happened there, Brennan. My brain, I, I was trying to choose between gratifying and validating, and my brain was like, I can't choose. <laughs> well, that's ah! awesome. Gratifying. <laughs> we just said gratifying. Which something that gratifies and validates at the same time. Yeah, gratifying. You made up a new gravitating word. Gravitating, like the no. <laughs> gravitating, <laughs> gratifying, gratifying. I've been gravitating. Various objects in orbit around Brandon. Yeah, <laughs> you need to lose some weight, oh, man. Oh man, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that came out, <laughs> folks. Lest we forget, Brandon is uh, not fat, and I'm tired of hearing about it. Okay, <laughs> if, when if you see him, don't say anything. Just it's, it's not polite. All right, now. Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Wings, as Lord of the Strings, the Wing, Lord of the the Strings, is that what you said? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this guy, those songs that he writes, they're probably the best part. (laughs) Oh boy, okay, we'll talk to that, we'll we'll, we'll talk to that, we'll talk to all Tolkien's poetry. Maybe we'll just talk around that. Uh, No, we're not going to talk about it, we're going to tackle it. There's nothing I love more than to hear about the Silmarillion and Elwing flying down to do something. (sighs) I okay. That's not one of the things that I love about Tolkien. I'm just just get the bad blood out first. It's not even that bad. I just think it's cute the way that he 
excuses his poetry by saying, well, if this was in the elven tongue, it would be a lot better. Yeah, that, ha- that comes up a lot. Like, <laughs> but now, this is the tra- crappy version of this, so <laughs> bear with me. I'm having but- <laughs> to translate this for you guys. In other words, he knew that it wasn't great poetry. Uh, do you guys read the poetry to your kids? Can yeah. we can we have full confession here? The I troll one that Sam wrote was kind of fun. I, it depends on the poem, but if it's one of those long, boring ones with lots of lore, I'll usually just, I don't really care for the poetry, folks. I don't think there's anything else I need to say about that. It's not my favorite part of Tolkien. The poetry yeah. that is actually written by hobbits yes, is the best poetry. That's true. When I say I don't care for the yeah. poetry, what I really mean is I don't care for, ah, this is the great lay of the elfin maiden, blah, blah, blah. When anytime there's a setup like that, I usually am tempted to tune it out. And like I don't know. Even Bilbo's poem about Elrond's daddy wasn't that great. <laughs> Yeah, the great poem, Elrond's Daddy. <laughs> oh, that poem. Oh, which one's that? <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that's in the that, next book anyways. We're not getting to that one today. Part of the Harlem Renaissance. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> Elrond's Daddy. Now. The famous Langston Hughes poem. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm not criticizing Tolkien. The problem's probably with me. But I'm just like, if I wanted poetry, I'd be reading poetry, Tolkien. Guys, big picture. Yeah. Coming into Lord of the Rings, what were your impressions? What were your thoughts? How did it strike you this time? What was like... We're going to kind of do a chapter through because this is, I think, one of those books that's worth going through in a little bit more detail. But just hitting it again, what struck you? Well, having just read The Hobbit, one of the things that struck me the most was how how he was able to elevate the style, but also still keep sort of that conversational storytelling style, especially mm-hmm. at the beginning. He does a fantastic job of transitioning from the Hobbit yeah. feel to the more lordly, stately Yeah, and so... Feel. It still sounds like Tolkien, and I didn't quite remember that that was the case, that it's still easy to read and not cumbersome, or it still has that straightforward prose that's engaging and entertaining to read. So, And not in a silly way, but actually good writing. It's good style. Because I'm reading this to my kids now for the first time, I have to filter everything through that, through that lens. So what I found is... I had to work really hard throughout book one of Fellowship to convince my kids that this was a really great, epic, compelling story that was being told here and they needed to hang on. And it just didn't, like, I felt a lot of pressure. Now we're deep into it. And do you remember what the point where it actually locked them was? Was it just after they leave the? Like post council really of Elrond, kind of basically post council of Elrond. I think everything up until up until then, everything that Peter Jackson actually feels the pressure to make to truncate to to truncate to feel really like intense black riders everywhere on their trail and mm-hmm. chasing them down. Some of that tension would have gone a long way for my kids to you know seventeen years lapse and we're you know we spent a lot of time going through a lot of country that you know we just describe in detail and i got a wide range of kids so they're not invested in middle earth and these descriptions aren't making them more invested in middle earth in fact it's just describing things that actually feel very familiar Mm. it's not like they're describing like when he gets to describing mordor towards the end of two towers like that's really compelling because it's so stark it's so different or Mm -hmm. even you know when he gets down into the mines of moria and things like that they're the descriptions they're otherly, but he's describing the Shire, he's describing fields and right. hills and trees. 
you know, until you get to some places that do have real interest, like the Barrow Whites or whatever, it can feel when you're reading to a wide range of kids like a slog, like, oh man, I feel the tension of there needing to be something a little bit more exciting Mm -hmm. going on here. That's interesting. I remember actually feeling exactly that way when I was the age of your kids. I was probably about the age of your oldest when I read the book to myself. And I remember just wanting the book. I remember being really compelled by chapter two, you know, when uh, I think it's called the great exposition dump or something like that. Isn't that the name of the (laughs) chapter? Yeah. (laughs) I remember being compelled by that. Like, oh, this is a great hook for a story and I'm invested. Like this, this is, you got me. Okay, Tolkien, what are you doing? Show me. But then it's like, uh, we're going to walk through a woods and we're going to go through some watermelons and we're going to meet some hobbits. and. And we get this show, like I understand if I was Peter Jackson, I think I would make probably almost all the same choices about like, let's get them to Rivendell as fast as, 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 fast possible. as possible, like, and let's make it as much of a chase as we can. Yep. Now, that being said, coming back to it as a guy in his mid thirties, not trying to impress any kids or, you know, only having my own enjoyment to consider, I found all that stuff a lot more compelling mm-hmm. than I remembered. The sense of paranoia that you get when they're just on the road and there's these black riders out there somewhere in the gloom and you don't, they don't know when they're going to run into them. Part where they're hiding behind the trees and the rider just gets down and starts crawling towards them. It was all a lot more creepy and foreboding than anything. Peter Jackson's pretty good at grisly thrills. He likes like the he likes the horror elements of things, but what he's not good at is the subtle kind of shivers down the back of your spine kind of feeling and this had some of that you know with just just the idea that there's this foreboding yeah. force out there somewhere if i remember right the closest he gets to it is with weathertop peter jackson he, he does weathertop pretty well yeah he does it okay mm-hmm. he turns it into an yeah. action scene as he does everything yeah well but there. when you have them kind of come out of the shadows yeah i remember that was pretty good but no you're right what i think that jackson loses which you would lose trying to keep a kid engaged with these early chapters is that sense of one time, how much time passes. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but there is a reality to that. Just how much, how involved it really was to figure out what was going on, how difficult these secrets were to unravel, to find Gollum, to discover the mystery behind the ring. It takes care of some of the problems that happen in Harry Potter where they have to figure out the horcruxes like within two seconds. But it actually is a problem with Lord of the Rings movies. It's like, if it was that, quick of a job for Gandalf to figure this out. All he had to do was ride somewhere and make a few mental calculations and figure it out. Why didn't he basically figure this out years ago? Yeah. Why we've been sitting on this for 50 years and then we're going to suddenly be like, oh, wait a second. We should probably throw that thing in the fire and see if it's got an inscription or something. Yeah. But here you realize that there's a lot more to it. Mm -hmm. And so I I like that. I do think that that sense of time. It takes 17 years to do it. Yeah. He comes back and visits the Shire off and on. Then one night he's like, wait a minute. You know, I think I've figured this out and holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. And then it takes months for them to get from point A to point B. And also I think it helps you realize, I mean, with what part of the problem with Peter Jackson's world is it seems incredibly small. Mm -hmm. This helps you realize how huge Middle Earth is because it takes so long for them to track down Gollum. It takes so long for them to do these things. And there's so much world for them to journey through before they even get to Rivendell, right? Right. Bilbo uh, managed to make this trip in two chapters, but now that we're actually on a more adult journey, it's like, it's going to take a long time and we're going to have to overcome a lot just to make it there. And so it's believable then with someone like, I mean, 
for them not to know where the Shire is. You realize how small the Shire is in this world, how small Rivendell is. Boromir had to go looking for it to find it. There's just a lot of secrets and hidden corners to this place, and it makes it believable why the Nine wouldn't be able to find them immediately, too. Why it's more of a a hunt hunt than just a chase, Mm -hmm. right? I liked it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really arguing with Jake, though. I'm sympathizing (laughs) with the fact that I felt exactly like no. his kids did at the, it's like come on watermelons really and when and i read this to my kids these were the chapters they didn't really care for yeah especially did. once you get to oh, tom oh tom well we'll but get my to, kids we'll thought tom. tom was fun they like tom yeah they didn't mind tom at all I, I think tom was just like oh finally something's happening here right yeah who is this and they i mean you have to understand they knew nothing about the Lord of the Rings coming in. They'd been well protected. So they're like trying to figure out who's Tom Bombadil. Yeah. Like, you know, even like later when, you know, when Gandalf comes back, they're like, oh, is that Tom? Like they're, they're wondering like this character seemed to be important here. Mm-hmm. And so they spent a lot of time up through the first half of Two Towers wondering when's Tom going to come back? You know, like, how is he going to figure into all this? Like, Mm -hmm. like he made an impression, made them feel like he was super important. And so like, now they've forgotten about him. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You know, I, that, it strikes me, this is worth saying. I, I don't think I ever didn't know the story. I don't think I ever had that naivete about Lord of the Rings that your kids have. And it's just a different, I, I just grew up in a nerdy little homeschooling community where people talked about Lord of the Rings for whatever reason. So like, I knew pretty sure when I read this book the first time, I can't confirm this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure I knew where it was going. I knew Gollum would fall in. Spoiler alerts. I, 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 I knew, I knew basically the, story. the same way people know that Darth Vader is Luke's father and, you know, yeah. it's possible to surprise a kid with that, generally speaking. Yeah, just, no, they, these these they, were like the playground things that these nerds in my life talked about. Right now myself. they're all convinced that Frodo's going to die. That's, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think unless you had said that, I would I, I would have just mentally assumed your kids probably did know the story just because that's, to me, it's such a ubiquitous kind of a story that we all grow up with kind of thing. They don't. But did you experience it fresh? Like, did you already know the story, Brandon, when you when you read it? No, the first time I read it was before the movies. And you weren't conversant in Middle Earth? and no. like you... I read it because of some friends. Huh. So yeah, my, so I, I'm I'm the oddball then. That's interesting, but I did not know I, was I happened. The to, I mean, I read them right around the time the movies were coming out. But mm-hmm. as far as I remember, I didn't read them because of the movies. My friends were big Tolkien, C.S. Lewis fans, so I've mentioned both of them. The one friend who got me into Fantasties, and this other friend, who she's the one that asked me why what I liked about the Lord of the Rings, and mm-hmm. I said I like the Mines of Moria because they were exciting, and she said, "Oh, is that all you like?" or something <laughs> like that. So no, this was new for me. That's interesting. It engaged me. It drew me in, but especially after you get to Rivendell and get on with the story, that's really where I began to. I, I I loved the world, and I had read The Hobbit, but for my first read, what I really loved about it was book two and on. Mm-hmm. Even though there are some parts that can be a slog, even like with the battles at the bat, the end, those weren't my favorite parts. Yeah, I mean, I think probably every person has their favorite chunk. I, I bet there's very few people that say I love all of this book top to bottom equally. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing most people have their flavor of Tolkien that they that they love that they love the most. Yeah, I mean, for me, one of my biases is I always enjoy, more enjoyed spending time with the humans than I did. Like I wanted to hear about the kings and the great deeds and the battles, and like that was my flavor. When we're stuck with Frodo and Sam, that was always something that I wasn't quite as interested in. 
I didn't have a problem with it, but I just like, let's get back to Aragorn and the return of the king and <clears throat> all these great, like history is being made and you want to spend time with Merry and Pippin? Come on. Tolkien? Yeah. Except, you mean Frodo and Sam? Or Frodo and Sam. They're, yeah. Except they're the ones who are actually doing it. They are yeah. making history. Yeah, but they're the ones who. Come on, Mr. Frodo. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about chapter one, a long expected party. So is this chapter in particular a slog? I mean, what because it is just so prosaic and it's about a party like nothing happens oh and the unexpected party so chapter one a long expected party bilbo throws his party and puts on the ring and disappears and then frodo's like well that was sad bilbo's gone that wasn't that big of a deal really i think the kids expect some ramp up time and and they're still coasting maybe on the love of bilbo from the hobbit absolutely yeah. yeah so they're ready for cool things and crazy adventures to ensue they're trusting they're they're here for yeah. it. But it's, then, it's just that it feels like it takes so long to get into anything interesting mm-hmm. that that's where it was sort of like. And I think he's so. Yeah, you know, The Hobbit sets them up with like every chapter is its own self-contained adventure. Right. Yeah. And we're going to get there. Like by chapter two, we'll be on a journey and exciting even, things will be happening. But even that has the ramp up chapter with the, tr- the doors. Yeah, but it's only one ramp up chapter. It's yeah. not right. like five chapters in well, you're still in. Ramp up. I'm, I'm agreeing with you though here. So this is okay as being the ramp up chapter. Yeah. It's the world of the Shire, and he really does that very well. Mm-hmm. Everything having you feel like this is a guy who loved his little British community and villages that he grew up in and with. Mm-hmm. Do you think? And so, um, well, if, let me fi- let you finish your point. Yeah. No, and so it just has that feel. It feels like you're there with the hobbits. You can. It's a very real world. It feels like the country farmers, and it's funny. Any humor that you're going to get in the story comes in here, mm-hmm. except maybe a little later when you get to Bree. What What do you think that Tolkien's attitude of the hobbits is? Because I think I was surprised by how much satire there was. Like, I hadn't remembered. What I knew was that Peter Jackson portrayed hobbits really cartoonishly. And his idea of a rural community like that is just a bunch of bumpkins chewing on grass and stuff like that. And so I was like, Uh, well, obviously Tolkien's going to give them a lot more respect. But then I found more of Jackson's hobbits than, than I sort of remembered or expected. Like, you got all the stuff with the Sackville Baggins. Like, these guys are kind of country rubes, mostly. Like, they're... Yeah, but one of the things that comes up over and over again throughout this book is that things that, well, all that glitters is not gold. Very all true. that wonder are not lost. It might be in book two, I can't remember, but they, yeah, it's with Boromir and all those guys. People mm-hmm. are surprised that hobbits have this sort of hidden ability to withstand things. Mm-hmm. And to, they have more of uh, a spine than you originally would give them credit for just knowing them from their outer appearance. Right. So I kind of think that, I think Tolkien... And this is probably the way that he viewed his country neighbors and stuff like that. And the people he grew up with is kind of from the perspective of Gandalf. Here's this guy who has gone on to get knowledge and wisdom and stuff, but he still has a respect for these people that live a simpler life, even though he does see their foolish. And they're the resilient backbone of our country that, you know, the ones that aren't going to be flustered, the ones that will rise to the occasion. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, he's right. There is a sort of foolish simplicity to it, but they're, if that's where you leave it at, then you turn into Peter Jackson, where you just kind of think they're cartoons. Like all the hobbits yeah. are idiots, except for our main four, well, but our main two, really. The point is that wisdom lies in seeing beyond just that. And that's where Gandalf is different than like Saruman. Yeah. I guess so. what, what was interesting to me is that we're actually kind of reading it from the vantage point of Gandalf. Like we're allowed to look down on the hobbits, not in yeah. a nasty way, but just in a well, there's the old gaffer <laughs> arguing with what's his... I mean, I think in many ways... There goes the baker with, with his... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There is a little bit of that feeling. 
Well, I think that's because partly Gandalf acts a little bit as an author surrogate for Tolkien here. Mm. Uh, a lot of the perspective that Gandalf has is also the one we're supposed to have, Tolkien's perspective. Yeah. So you can trust Gandalf. Yeah. As someone who has the accurate view of things, even though you're not always going to get... He's not going to spill, spill the beans. Which is, I mean, similar to Tolkien. You don't get everything up front. Mm-hmm. So you have to stick with the story and see how things develop. And Well, I like this chapter. It was the one that, to me, of all the chapters, felt the most like pageantry or something like that. You know, like watching a Shakespeare play that you've just read a million times. Like, I just, I know all these lines. I know mm-hmm. all these beats. Yep. I've seen more than one movie adaptation of it. Like, you know, like Bilbo's whole speech. It's It was just like reading to be or not to be or something like yeah. that. Like there was, there just wasn't anything left to surprise. It's, it's really well done, but well, that's because of all the chapters in book one here. The one, this is the one that Jackson pretty much leaves untouched. Yeah. I mean, it's there in its entirety for the first yep. 20, 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. I mean, if you got Ian Holm and uh, what's his face, Ian McKellen, you might as well just have them give this dialogue. Yeah. Uh, leads, us, leads us to chapter two, dump of the exposition. Yeah. Where, Frodo hangs out for a long time and Gandalf goes off and then Gandalf comes back and tells Frodo all about the ring and stuff. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah, that is pretty much. (laughs) It's great. I mean, he, he manages to make it where it's very engaging Mm -hmm. and scary and Frodo's a good audience surrogate in that sense. Right. You know, it's like, it's like Harry. And, uh, I mean, that is the genius of Harry, being raised by the Dursleys mm. is Harry knows as much about the magical world as we do. He has to be told everything. Or Luke Skywalker was raised on a farm. He doesn't know what the force is. He has to right. be told. He doesn't know what a lightsaber is. Exactly. And so Frodo's lived in the Shire his whole life. He knows a little bit about things out there from Bilbo. Mm-hmm. He knows there's such a thing as dragons, just like Luke knows there's such a thing as a battle. Right. <laughs> It's a really convenient way to be able to drop expositions, just to have somebody who's complete, as in the dark as you are and have somebody very fatherly and patiently. Well, plus it, it lends a lot of potence to the things that he does know. He knows there's an enemy. Yeah. He knows that the enemy has, is regathering his power somehow and that big, there's, it's a big deal. And he knows that there's elves. Like those are basically the three things that Frodo kind of already knows. And it's like, yeah. okay, I guess those are important things. And also... So one thing we noted with Dumbledore was that a character like Dumbledore or Gandalf can't be better. They cannot rise any higher than the author who creates them. You can't write a character who's better than you are. Yeah. And so that's one thing that comes. So all the great lines that Gandalf has in this book are in this chapter, right? So he says, this is where you get, so do all who live to see such times, Frodo, but that is not for them to decide. Right. And you also get this. Wise move. Say what? By Peter Jackson. It was a wise move. This is also where you get where he says he wished that Bilbo had just killed Gollum. Right. And he says that. His famous speech about justice and mercy. It's pity that stayed his hand, right? It was pity. A pity that Bilbo didn't kill them. Yeah. Pity? The beast. Yeah. Mm. And so real wisdom coming from Gandalf, some great lines that you can see the wisdom that this, this character has. It's, yeah, it's. It helps establish that. Then you also get the establishment of Sam's character mm-hmm. when you have the, <laughs> we don't have no eaves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, we turn no eaves. The, the part that always makes me a little misty eyed when you first get, he gets to go and see the elves hooray mm-hmm. and then he cries. He bursts into tears. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just, uh, Sam's Sam, great. Sam's, I mean, it, Sam's everybody's favorite character for a reason. Sam's great. Yeah. But he also, so it goes back to that conversation we Sam's had. Sam's finally went over my kids. Yeah. But it doesn't happen really until books, the end of books two and three, right? Shelob. 
That's when Sam finally <clears throat> turned the corner and my kids are like, all right. Yeah. We're 100% team Sam here. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because, I mean, Sam is always prejudiced against everybody. He doesn't like Strider. It takes a while for Strider to win him over. And I think Sam is a good representation of the sort of cartoonish foolishness we think the hobbits have. Right. That protects them. That protects them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in this early chapters, books one and two, I was, I noticed like, wow, Sam, he's not likable yet. He's still, there's a sweetness to him that people who know the story later on. That's that's interesting. But it's really, he doesn't really, yeah, you're right. He doesn't win you over until you see what his loyalty and what his backbone does when he... I mean, when the he's part pressed that, into a corner. One of my favorite moments is like, yeah, I can't carry it, but I will carry you. I mean, right. that's, mm-hmm. yeah. And that is something that Jackson does jump the gun on, but in a really great way. The ending of The way that one. he frames the ending of book one, of uh, the first movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can tell that Tolkien was writing one book. I mean, Tolkien said as much. Tolkien wasn't writing three books. He just, they were just divided up that way for printing purposes and commercial purposes as much as anything. Tolkien is not trying to end the Fellowship of the Ring on a resolute note. He's not trying to give us a climax. I mean, there is a little bit of a climax. It's the climax of a book, of a small part of a story. Peter Jackson is necessarily scrambling some things around in order to give us a climax. feels feels like we've watched a movie. And feels like we've gotten some emotional closure on things. Yeah, in fact, when I first saw that movie, there were two women watching it behind me. And one of them said, is that it? That's how this ends? Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, no. There's but, more movies. <laughs> but it does. It does feel like an ending. Yeah. And uh, he did a good job. I mean. When we get to the last chapter of this book, the only note that I really have is I really think Peter Jackson, you can knock him in a lot of places, but I think he actually improved the ending to this book in every way. I like where what he does with Boromir. I like yep. shading Boromir in, making yep. Boromir less of an archetype and more of a human being. I like Frodo and Sam. I think it's sweet. Mm-hmm. how they get together in the boat. I don't necessarily yeah. need Sam dr- almost drowning, but he kind of almost drowns in the book. I even like having a bad guy to get his head cut off. I just think having some nice resolution and closure and emotional catharsis at that moment, it felt a little missed yeah. to me here. Um, it's not a big deal in the context of the books, but I think you're right. But yeah, I do think there are certain things that you can do well in hindsight like oh yeah you know just be nice to have boromir be a little bit more three-dimensional yeah no you're you're absolutely right mm-hmm. and um, um yeah i agree completely i feel like of all the movies and i, I don't know why it'll be interesting like, are we going to talk about the movies yeah at some point one way or another. i think of all the movies the one that peter jackson got the most right is the fellowship of the ring well, I have a lot of sympathy for it. I guess we could talk about it. That's for always been my favorite of the three i think i think the book has a solid structure that he was able to draw on yeah i think the other movies, you're, he's dealing with a really hard problem, which is that the story suddenly fragments and the way the novel works is you get a giant chunk with one char- group of characters and another yeah. giant chunk. And that would have been, I think there's a good- the ar- timeline is, is screwy. Yeah, the timeline is like nothing. If you try and jump back and forth, yeah. there's nothing that happens to Frodo and Sam. So it's like, we have to generate some material for them. So we're going to use Faramir. Like, I, I, Gilead I can see a... why they had all the problems that they had. They didn't necessarily come up with good or elegant solutions, no, but just like, we're going to, we're going to maintain the timeline. So we're going to extend this whole thing and make up a whole thing that wasn't in the book yeah. so that we can have Shelob be when it happens in the, which is, you know, as much a tactical decision to save Return of the King from being just, I can't go on. You have to, Mr. Frodo. I can't go on. You have to, Mr. Frodo. <laughs> right. Like, 
to at least save something for that movie for Sam and Frodo. Oh, and then they've got the problem that everybody has always wanted to see Helm's Deep and they want it to be as big and as awesome as it needs to be. And the movie delivers on that, but that ends up backloading the movie with this giant battle that really is just one very cool, but just one chapter of a book. And it's like, you have to make that your climax, which means you can't have a Frodo and Sam climax really, or it has to be much smaller in comparison. And it takes away your ability even to do the voice of Soromon, which they had to stuff in. So yeah, the structural problems of adapting these book are really challenging. And I, I, I get, I wish that they would have come up with better solutions than the voice of Saruman is not something that uh, you don't get that unless you're watching the extended. Right. They just cut Saruman out of, yeah. which is kind of a chump move, but yeah, but I get it. You know, it, it's too bad. They their solution was, we'll just have Faramir or Faramir be, we'll just have him be some, a bipolar weirdo that's mad at the hobbits for as long as our plot needs. And then decides he's not mad at them. That'll give yeah. them an adventure to go on. That's yeah. not a very good solution. Yeah, since we're talking about yeah. this, my kids loved and were sucked into Fellowship. They were compl- they never got into Two Towers until Helm's Deep. Right. Helm's Deep was the only place where they were just like, whoa, this is awesome. Yeah. This is so cool. But they, the entire movie, I was, I, I got pretty annoyed with them because they just would <clears> not <throat> stop talking about how that this isn't like the book at all. This isn't, that's not what happened. That's not, yeah. who is, that's not what Faramir's like. Like, what, what oh, yeah. the heck is going on here? Like, there's just a whole movie. They're just like... That doesn't surprise what me What are there, we yeah. watching here? This is, n- this is <laughs> not the book that we were just thrilled by and I've... that we loved. Like, this is not the book, and I hate it. It was I'm with, just the attitude that yeah. they... The whole, all of them, the whole mm. way through. When it, when it comes to Faramir, I'm with them completely. I felt betrayed. That was how. dumb. I, I will even give them this much. Faramir is... I think another goody two shoes in a story that has enough of them. In other words, if, if we've already got an Aragorn and we've already got a Gandalf the white and we are, and we're going to have a Theoden, like we have a lot of an enamor, we have a lot of noble dudes. And so their instinct to shade Faramir in somehow I sympathize with, they just did it. Doesn't even like th- they're like, dude, Aragorn's older than Theoden and Theoden really respects Aragorn in the book and yeah. you know because aragorn's the king the king of the kings well that's your kids and, being pedantic but maybe i mean it's okay if aragorn's younger that's that's what i what i would have said to your kids if i was there well the, they didn't mind him looking younger they just oh the relationships they yeah. just didn't like yeah. the fact that theoden was like well the movies make a lot of missteps with aragorn yeah the, the, yeah well, they just didn't like theoden having an attitude about aragorn like yeah that's true well the those movies the, the instinct yeah. of those he, filmmakers he didn't respect is, aragorn he just had no respect for aragorn yeah he those filmmakers instincts is always we have a problem to solve let's solve it by giving someone uh, characterizing someone as a as problematic you know we need more attention let's yeah, we need things. We need this thing to take longer. So let's make this character suddenly not like this character or right. be antagonistic, so that we'll have to work through that. And it'll see. let's have Aragorn and Legolas be on the outs, so that they can reconcile later. And that'll like yeah, the, all of that stuff. My kids hated the idea that Theoden and Aragorn didn't really respect Aragorn. Right. That people in in Rohan weren't impressed by Aragorn. And didn't think, whoa, this is Aragorn, the king. Yeah. Like that really bothered them because they had this image of Aragorn 
being somebody that everybody everybody respects respects and loves and and understands to be this great king that you know he's the one that's and the movie just trashed that whole idea well it's why really bothersome i think the rule of adaptation and we're far afield and we'll get back to the book in a second but i think the rule of adaptation always is has to be adapt the spirit of the book and tear to pieces the letter of the book what i mean by that is fellowship in many ways isn't the book it changes all kinds of things for convenience but you get your characters and they're behaving the way that they should be and you get your major set pieces and you get the feeling of it yep and two towers in order to solve those structural problems i mean i don't mind solving a structural problem with a warg attack i think do more stuff like that actually like let's just like just give us plot mechanics yeah. That will have that will arrange your chess pieces the way you need to. But when you start doing things like not like giving us a Faramir who doesn't feel like Faramir, giving us give- a Frodo who's suddenly very angry, dark, and being corrupted by the ring in a mm-hmm. way that he's not been. Right. You start doing things like that. They're coming. You know, like we're gonna have a fake horror scene here. People will feel betrayed even if you are sticking to the plot. Like you could stick to the plot a hundred percent, and you start doing things like that, and people aren't going to like it. Yeah. So, because people don't actually care who ended up at what pool when. What they care about is, Faramir was my favorite character. I really love Frodo. Oh, no, I don't, because Elijah Wood's creepy. I love Frodo, but apparently the filmmakers don't. Like, you never want that feeling. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I really, like, am in awe of Aragorn every time he shows up and is able to command people's respect. Right. Oh. Well, you just trash that. Like, the sense of betrayal, it was real. Yeah. And, and and those in are in the movie that is not the book we're supposed to be talking yeah, those about. Those are bad decisions. <laughs> well, I want to to bring. Let me let me ask the most obvious like grade school question about this book imaginable because I think I do have to ask it, and this will get us back on track. Chapter two, no better place to talk about the ring. Yeah, what is it about this conceit of the ring that is so powerful? Well, rings in general have a deep history to them, and so I mean, even even goes all the way back to Gyges and. Plato with the invisible ring. And so there's a depth to, I don't know, there's something Just about popular folk, uh, yeah. folklore. There's something about a magical ring and this piece of this thing that you can put on and it gives you this power that seems innocent enough, but actually has a corrupting influence on the one who wears it because it belongs to this ultimate dark mm-hmm. figure that with that thing, I mean, it's like it has all the power and weight of a symbol while at the same time being a real thing within the story. So it symbolizes all evil, but then it actually itself is all evil, mm-hmm. right? And so it has that sort of, it's a brilliant little conceit that he came up with there, that it yeah. has so much packed into this one little thing that seems so innocent. Uh, take the idea of the MacGuffin and you get, you fill it with potency. Yeah. You know. So you can't break it. You can't do anything. You mm-hmm. can't melt it except for the place where it was made. There's it, no way to destroy it. And it is intrinsically evil, and it is the thing that is driving the plot of the entire story. Yeah. And th- the one thing you can't get rid of except by walking through hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it'll corrupt anyone, even Gandalf, if it, they touch it. Yeah. All that stuff with Galadriel is real creepy, where she passed the test, yeah. where she turns blue in this, one of the dumber moments from the movie. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I hadn't thought about... It, it would be hard to... It would, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a better talisman wouldn't you like there is something just about rings in general that is that are so deeply connected i mean wedding rings i guess we all have 
around. Like I don't have stuff in my life. I don't have talismans. I don't have magic. I'm just not the kind of person that collects knickknacks, but I sure do have a ring. Yeah, it just has that essential iconography to it. Like, I mean, I've read other fantasy stories. There's, there was a lot of fantasy stories, especially in the wake of Lord of the Rings, where there'd be a magical sword or a thing, you know, yeah. a thing that had to be destroyed. There's a million stories with MacGuffins like that. But you I just, like Horcruxes. Yeah, Horcruxes are a pretty good example. But you just can't do better than a ring for a, for a MacGuffin. Like, it's already got symbolic weight attached to it that a pen wouldn't I don't, I don't know what the what a good counter example is i a trophy yeah a snake a snake yeah <laughs> well those are fun because they're i'll defend the horcruxes the horcruxes are fun, the they're, horcruxes they're, are fun. they're trapped in mundane things which is fun. yeah they're also just another ripoff of the lord of the rings that's, but. <laughs> that's also true that's also true that is another fun thing about reading the lord of the rings with my kids with peter in particular mm-hmm is who's your oldest we should say for the yeah listener. he's my yeah he's my oldest he's 11 12 he's 12 and he's read the first four harry potter books mm-hmm. but as we go through the lord of the rings he's just like oh she stole that oh she stole that mm-hmm. oh she stole that oh she stole that all the way through yeah that's real that's, it, that's fun it's a lot of fun for him to be like oh oh yeah I don't think it, it it's really taken anything away from Potter for him, but it is still fun for him to be like, oh, oh yeah. It's like growing up liking Coldplay and then getting introduced to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, unlike Peter, I could never not be like, oh, well, cool. Coldplay's ruined and the Beatles are awesome and I'm better than everyone because I know this. <laughs> I think the other thing that I find compelling about the ring is just like a Horcrux or like like many magical objects in these kinds of stories. It does seem so mundane. And I think that that, that is a real, oh, I don't know, metaphorical weight as objects of temptation often seem small. You know, your first cigarette that ends up giving you cancer just feels like some dumb cigarette that you light. The pornographic magazine that you find back in the days of pornographic magazine. These things don't present as... Here's the thing that's going to ruin your life. Yeah. It's just this, oh, huh. There's this a picture I'd like to look preci- twice at. There's yeah, a- this one little thing, trinket, that slowly takes over your life and becomes precious yeah. to you. That absorbs so precious to you that you're going to let it kill you. And that's how. Let it destroy your soul. That's how Zen works. It's so much better yeah. than, I don't have a specific example in mind, but you know, we've seen fantasy things where it's like. You put on the ring and yes, you total your your face turns black and your eyes turn red and you're immediately consumed. I'm not even sure what I'm thinking of, but I know we've all seen a million things where it's like the evil thing immediately makes you evil. It's like no, it Bilbo had it for years and it just slowly was eating him. It was very artful. Yeah, it didn't want to corrupt Bilbo too quickly mm-hmm. because it needed to not be discovered. Yeah. It needed to, it was biding its time as, as, uh, I don't know, somebody somewhere says. Yeah. Gandalf probably, but who I think knows? It was Galadriel. Oh, Galadriel, yeah. Or at least it was Galadriel's voice. In the movie. In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The ring did not want to be found. Doesn't she say something like that? It was biding its time. It was biding its time. Until it could be. Then the ring found it. In the hand. A yes. new owner. Always seeking to get into the hands of men who are so easily corrupted. Yeah, nobody delivers that dialogue like uh, Kate Blanchett. She's pretty great. (laughs) Criminal criminal use of her and Peter Jackson (laughs) has no concept of how to handle a character like Galadriel, but 
Kate Blanchett is pretty great. Uh, okay, chapter three. It's called Three is Company. Yeah. And this is a weird chapter because it's got a bunch of stuff that Peter Jackson cut out and therefore I didn't remember was going to happen. But Frodo runs into some elves and they have like an elf party and it's all magical and mystical. (laughs) (laughs) Frodo, they eat like magical elf food in an elf grove and Frodo speaks elves and the elves are like, hey, you speak good elf. And Frodo's like, thanks. Elf friend. Elf, yeah. And Sam gets to see his elves. And Sam gets to see his elves. We also get our first uh, taste of the ring wraiths with the shadow bending to the ground and kind of sniffing around and then passing on. So we get some creepy stuff and some mystical elf stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I have any good questions to ask you. I don't have any other thoughts on that. You're bursting at the seams to talk about this? I mean, there's not much to say about this or really the next chapter, A Shortcut to Mushrooms. I have absolutely zero notes about a shortcut to mushrooms. Do we have to discuss each chapter in depth? <laughs> oh, yes, Brandon. We're giving people their money's worth. This is what oh, they paid okay. for. I mean, uh, I think there's not a whole lot that happens until we finally get to the old forest, right? Just yeah. To, I mean, not that we haven't already, not stuff that we've not already said. Well, okay. Here's the one thing that I'll say. Are you guys familiar with the word fey? Giving an impression of vague unworldliness or supernatural powers. Yeah. I just think... Tolkien did a lot more of that sort. I mean, obviously Tolkien's famous for doing that sort of thing, for giving us this feeling of some supernatural transcendent reality beyond us. But in the boring chapters from my childhood, there was a lot of that sort of thing. When those elves show up, he has this description. I I, I don't have it here, but Frodo just looks up and he sees all these different constellations in the sky. Yeah. And Tolkien mm-hmm. just makes a point of reminding you that they're not our constellations, they're Frodo's constellations. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. just suddenly have this feeling of being in an alien world. And then he's talking to the elves and there's all this elf magic going on. And so yeah, I was just really connecting to, because I love that kind of stuff. And it's what I read fantasy literature for and supernatural literature, horror stuff. What I like is that feeling of other that kind of feeling you get in the wood between the worlds in the narnia book or charn or you know wood between the worlds just the idea that every one of those pools is a different world and what could those worlds be and this kind of feeling of touching something that's beyond of crossing the veil but also leaving it mysterious it's what i love about the Willows by Blackwood, all that kind of stuff does someone who loves lord of the rings i suppose i'm just saying the obvious but i'm so used to the movies which are for the most part so concrete and so unsuggestive in the way that they do things it was just nice to remember how suggestive tolkien is how much he leaves to the imagination and how much he fires your imagination with these little hints towards a bigger reality and in lord of the rings like you said a supernatural reality because yeah. you you have the visions that happen so frodo sees gandalf even Pippin and Mary, those guys, they have a vision in the house of Tom Bombadil. Yeah. He's singing to them. And so there is this essence or this sense of a world beyond theirs. Mm-hmm. And this little strange, a little, if, if any parts of the book I didn't care a lot for, it was this visionary stuff where they're having dreams of, a, of something else that's happening beyond them. I don't know. Well, the thing about Tolkien is that Tolkien couldn't read Tolkien. You know what I mean? Like Tolkien was just writing a story that he liked. Like now when somebody writes fantasy, they've already read Lord of the Rings and they kind of know what the rules are. And even if they're breaking them or they're playing with them, we all know how a story like this is supposed to work. We we know what it can do and what it can't do. Yeah. But Tolkien feels like 
at some points, he's really just drawing on fairy tales and the weirdness of the fairy world and the untamedness of it. I mean, we'll talk about this more when we get to Lothlorien, I guess. But you know, there's, there's places where he doesn't care as much. I mean, Tom Bobbitt, which we're getting to in a second, will be another place to talk about this. There's places where he doesn't care as much about whether this all makes sense as some kind of cohesive world. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of drawing on these older these older, scarier, more untamed traditions in a way that most of his disciples don't. Yeah. No, that's true. And that comes, that becomes very clear in the old forest with Tom Bombadil. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So uh, we'll, we'll race through these chapters. We're skipping a conspiracy unmasked chapter five. Well, it's just a a whole lot again, a whole lot to say. It's plot chapters. You have old man mushroom or whatever his name is right that's introduced old man mushroom farmer what was his name farmer Farmer giles of ham no what's his name farmer farmer beckett farmer and i mean he's only he's interesting in the sense that gandalf will later say that there's more to that farmer than if they think that he's no it's actually tom bombadil who says that right he's friends with farmer maggot farmer maggot (laughs) and so again in that element there's more to these hobbits than it first meets the eye yeah and that's it's nice that like he's he's, he's he's the hobbit that beat frodo when he was a but he's actually a pretty cool pretty chill guy and the conspiracy unmasked all that's really happening there is he finds out that his friends are going to go with him and he can't stop them right yeah and that they've already figured out what he's doing and there's that sweetness of the relationship that comes out there except for old fatty who Mm -hmm. You never really find out what Old fatty him. bulger, yeah. <laughs> Man, do the ring rates kill him? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Fan fiction, here we come. Let's yeah. solve this problem, Brandon. So. Okay, so then you get the old forest. Even that, thought it was pretty boring as a kid. As an adult, I was like, ooh, this is kind of weird and spooky and the trees are moving and stuff. <sighs> and then you get to Tom Bombadil. Yeah. Am I even saying his name right? Bomb- Tom Bombadil. Bombadil. Bombadillo. And his wife- <laughs> Goldberry. <laughs> Sounds like a river goddess. Hey, Goldberry. Hey, Goldberry. Get over here, Goldberry. You got to give me that coffee. Here, Goldberry. <laughs> be a good name for a dog. Yeah. Um, Tom Bombadil and Goldberry. That would be a good name for a pair of like, golden retrievers. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Well, all right. Controversial part of the book. I know a lot of people don't like Tom Bombadil. I know a lot of people that are like, Tom Bombadil is great. And if you don't understand Tom Bombadil, then you don't understand anything. You're not even a real Tolkien fan. Have people said that to you? No. I'm no. maliciously putting words in the mouth of who knows who my ire was directed at, really. But I have, I have known people to take hard lines on Tom Bombadil. I guess that's the point that I was trying to make. And so now we come to it, gentlemen. If I'm being totally honest, guys, one chapter that I was tempted to skim was in the house of Tom Bombadil. <laughs> because it's such a, I mean, it's just, it's fine. It's, it gets the job done, I guess, that he's trying to get what across. What job with is it. he well, trying to get done, though? <laughs> this. Well, that's what you were just talking about. If there's anything, it's the idea that this is a wild, bigger world than you ever thought it was, and there are all kinds of people here, and even bigger, you don't know what's yeah. around the corner. Yeah, even and bigger a, and wilder than the elves, that this is someone who's been there for forever. Tom Dabbeville, if I've, if I've understand it correctly, is some kind of an elemental spirit that's older and in some sense, more important than Gandalf, than Elrond, than any of our and big... And above sort of everything. Yeah. But not beneath stooping down to help a couple hobbits. Right. Yeah. And he's cloaked, as many of the characters are, in a in a sort of mask, in a, you know, he's... He, Gandalf presents as an old, grumpy wizard in a black, in a gray cloak. Um, Bobadil's a... Jolly little... Farmer guy. Tree farmer. With a hat and... 
galoshes on and comes dancing <laughs> like the dance places and sing <laughs> if you've ever tried to dance from one location to another it's it's hard work apparently when he's talking to you too he'll just get up and randomly <laughs> start dancing, dancing. <laughs> for you. that was i had forgotten about that so when jake says it i like <laughs> it like i i like the idea of that elemental kind of thing that's older than anything but it's always felt like a Hey, as a kid, I hated it because it was just like, what is this doing here? Did your kids, what did your kids, I guess you said that they. Yeah, they didn't have any. I mean, I think Tom was the first real interesting thing to happen in their mind. Just because here's a nice splash of color. Yeah, and it's like and... so finally, suddenly there's something that's like in the middle of all this. We're just walking through the woods stuff. Right. There's a dude that. Here's a guy that, you know, and they just, they've, I think, have been trained to think of him as Chekhov's gun. Right. Right. Like. Yeah. He's the gun that is in the first act of this whole big epic saga. Mm. And when's the gun going to come back and. Yeah. Take him his gun done staying over the mantle place, kids. <laughs> oh, um, even Tolkien has, uh, what's his face? Bjorn. I mean, there's a precedent for a character that shows up early and, you know, act Chekhov's yeah, later. Yeah. Bombadil but, is very much like Bjorn. But. So. Yeah, con- there is that element of Bjorn to him. I hadn't thought of that. I like conceptually what it's doing, I guess. Although even conceptually or theoretically, there's some things I don't like. A, we've just gotten into the book and we've spent so much time setting up the fact that this ring is destructive and tempting and awful and to be feared. And we've spilt so much ink on that. And now we're going to introduce a character, the one character in the book who's just like completely not bothered by it. Above it all. Above it all. To me, and I've felt like this since, I think since I was a kid, it's always felt like it diminishes things a little bit if and i know tolkien even is Probably that, he intended that right? he intended that somehow i'm not sure why he's at pains to clean it up right later in the council where they're like why don't we just give it to you know he has somebody say why don't we just give it to tom and then somebody else says no we can't do that it wouldn't work for whatever plot reason <laughs> tom would lose it actually that he would lose it and it would find its way out of his little <laughs> little magical kingdom <laughs> which is <laughs> great i guess Give it to Goldberry. <laughs> I don't know. It's always felt like a mistake to me to have to have a character there. And I'm sure that that's why one of the reasons beyond just wanting to pick up the pace that they took it out of the the movies. Because you can imagine just spending all that time having a prologue where Kate Blanchett's telling you how scary a ring is. And then you're going to have some guy come dancing <laughs> up. And... It's the last little remnant of The Hobbit in yeah. that sense of it being just sort of whimsical. But it feels like well, the Hobbit's kind of intruding. Like it's like, go away, Hobbit. Like I don't need your whimsy now. Like I've 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 bought in. I've sorry, spent was, the emotional energy to to buy into this being a serious epic. And so I was I was doing a quick Matrix download of just an argument that's pro Tom Bombadil. Uh, so here's pro Bombadil. All right. Yeah. Oh, so here's pro, the argument in favor, and I'm not going to call out anybody here. So okay. the the arguments in favor of Tom Bombadil is that. You have the Gandalfs of the world who are very concerned and wise about the pressing issues of the day. Then you have people who go off on their merry adventures, not the merry adventures. You have people who go off on their very serious adventures that Gandalf sends them on. But in, at the end, you have to come back after your adventuring and mm-hmm. actually make a life in the Shire for yourself or something. And then you have and that and that option is you can either pine for the old days or live in remorse about the old days, or you can live like Tom Bombadil does in the moment, mm-hmm. gathering water lilies for your lady and taking care of what is there to take care of. Tom's had his adventures, and he's yeah. he's a foreshadowing of... Of Sam, I guess. Of Sam, of, of what, what Sam, Sam could uh, have. Of what you hope Rosie. Sam will become and be. That's the best argument you had that you found? 
That's the argument I found. Is your matrix download thing broken? <laughs> no, it's not broken, Nathan. Come on, argue against me, buddy. <laughs> I don't like I mean, that. <laughs> okay. Fine, I guess, but we don't need a whole whimsical dancing well, I mean, Disney character to teach us that lesson. I don't know why you have to say that that's only shown in Tom Bombadil, too, because it's completely shown in Sam at the end of the book. Well, and Tom Bombadil removes the sort of existential weight of that, right? Like, the point is that Sam's not going to have it all together, that he will be affected, but he's still going to plant his garden. Yeah. I don't need some magical sprite to be planting the garden. I need Sam to be like, you know what? Life is hell, and I'm still going to plant my garden in the Shire. I mean, I think in the end, all that Tom Bombadil is, is he's supposed to represent, so it's like you were saying, this fey element to mm-hmm. this, you have the visions, yeah, you have it. the this deep history to this whole world. And there's supposed to be even something here that, so two things happen with Tom Bombadil. One, there's an element to the world, like it or not, that's bigger and deeper and, than the elves. And that's where you get, with him and his story about the and creation of the world. Bigger and, and deeper and more otherly than this grand, big, epic story yeah. that we're in. Which and I, I like. think that, I, I think like that. that, but I, I, I think in our C.S. Lewis episodes, I made the point that I like Tolkien better than Lewis. That if mm-hmm. I have to fall on one side of the argument, I fall with Lewis. Mm-hmm. And so, I, mean, I fall with Tolkien, I'm sorry. And so here's the difference. Instead of writing books and books about Tom Bombadil, who could easily be his Aslan, mm-hmm. he just lets him be this one little corner of the world that is quickly just, they get away from, right? right. Does that make sense? So you don't have this weird, otherworldly, supernatural element that's just completely dominating the story. No. It's but it there, is there. It's there as a suggestion, but it's in a corner. And I think it's actually pretty accurate, too. And that, that and they pass through it, and that's it. In the sense that that would not dominate the story. Because right. Tom Bombadil is supposed to be outside. If Whether or not you take the whatever is going on here, the supernatural elements, and like it or not. But Tom Bombadil is even before the history of Middle-earth, and so none of it concerns him. Whether or not it should is a different matter, but all that concerns him is his little world that he has this bubble of protection over. So even the ring is outside of him. He's just... But then that said, it does help you understand what's at stake in the sense that you have Tom Bombadil, and I'm not sure he's held up as like something that you're supposed to respect. Um, He's not held up as like the ultimate wisdom, right? He's like this, like you said, an elemental spirit that Mm -hmm. has just existed always. Because somebody, it's not Gandalf who points it out, but it's one of the elves points out that even in the end, the ring would destroy Bombadil in his world. Right. He'd be right. like the last to go. So even though he doesn't see the threat of it, it doesn't mean that it's not a threat to him. Mm-hmm. And so there is a lack of wisdom in Bombadil. Or if it, even if it's not a lack of wisdom, a lack of... Concern. Concern. I wish, will, I wish Tolkien would make yeah. that a little clearer, actually, I think. I don't know. It's like, if I'm watching Die Hard, I don't necessarily want to cut to another place in the city and like let's remember like people besides bruce willis are having adventures too like it's a bigger world than this building with these terrorists yeah. you know they're, they're, that's they're an just, amazing analogy isn't that a great analogy let's remember like the guy that swung the sword at indiana jones like he had a life and he he went to work and he had to sharpen that sword let's spend some time with him yeah it's like no actually we're at paints to tell a really good indiana jones story here and so I, I see the arguments. I get them. I like some of that Fey feeling. I love the Fey feeling in general. But Bonneville for me is a bridge too far. He does break the narrative tension in a way that I don't like. I mean, it'd be, it'd be like if like one of Disney's dwarfs showed up in the, the company of Durin. Like there's Dopey. Yeah. You know, we've got Bomber and Biffer and Sleepy. But he's also. I mean, he's he's 
a, a hint at things that are to come, like the Ents. And right. why does Galadriel and her husband, why do they not show up at the final battles? They just send their envoys or whatever. See, I right? like so, the Ents. I like Galadriel. I like Lothlorien. I like that Fey feeling, and I like the feeling of the world being bigger and of there being places, corners that are dangerous and elemental in ways that don't even connect to the main story, except for yeah. incidentally. I guess I'm fine with it because I feel like book one here up until we get to Bree feels a little bit episodic like The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And so this is just like a little episode that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the larger plot, except that he does draw it into the larger metaphysics of yeah. the world he's created. And it's interesting. And the fact that he doesn't make a big deal about Tom Bombadil, except to actually, he does use him to help show just how evil Sauron and how great a threat Sauron actually is. Because in the end, someone who can touch the ring and not be corrupted will eventually feel the influence of it. I, the only thing I really have to go on, I have two things to go on on Tom Bombadil. The first is my kids feeling like, hey, something interesting is finally happening. Yay. And the second is reading these books for the first time 12, 13 years ago after having watched the movies first. Mm. And I remember feeling like, hey, this is something interesting and new and the, of a totally different vibe than those Peter Jackson movies that defined all of Middle Earth for me. Right. And so I remember thinking, well, this is actually kind of fun and is a contrast to Jackson's vision. And also I'm glad he didn't try to put these in the movies because- Oh man, can you imagine Peter Jackson's Tom Bombadil? It would have made been, him some sort of Radagast character. Been it would either be- So weird the the lame low comedy of Radagast or it would be like some slow motion supernatural kind of here comes Tom Bombadil and here's the choir music and the it isn't there like a deleted scene of him no they they do some playful nods to both Farmer Maggot and Bombadil I forget what they are but it's just like some yellow boots yeah exactly show it's... up on the screen and yeah we don't there, there's not actually a scene. There might be a scene like where they're in Brie and they walk by yellow boots and you're supposed to be like, hey, they're acknowledging. But there's not a scene where they, I don't think they ever filmed anything that was supposed to indicate Tom Bombadil was actually in the scene. In the story. Okay. In the story. I had this vague idea that of like Pippin and Mary or something sitting by a tree or willow and yellow boots in the foreground. I don't know. But I probably imagined it. Was well, there anything I think we're going to close close up shop today with Tom Bombadil. Is there anything else we want to say about him? I, I think my other criticism of Bombadil is, and we'll talk more about this, I'm sure with, as we get to the other female characters, but Tolkien only has one speed of woman that he's ever interested in writing. And I do get tired of her, frankly, the kind of not, not, not to be Mr. Defender of the fair sex here, but the kind of yeah, you would never want to be Mr. Defender of the Fair Sex. No, I never want to be Mr. Defender of the Fair <laughs> How Sex. Would you ever want to be that? <laughs> <laughs> Not to defend the fair sex here, like a moron. Not to be all pro woman and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you got me. But <laughs> I guess I do want to stick up for the ladies a little bit. Brandon, you told us that story about Tolkien's wife dancing for him. Yeah, we'll get to that. Because I, I, he, they tell the story of Baron and Luthien later, and that's where they get it from. Well, I feel like he watches her dancing in the woods. Tolkien like, had one thing that he really liked from women, and that was it was like the nature goddess, the nature goddess type. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and fair skinned, 
dancing with lilies all over him. <laughs> well, he just loved the idea that women are more connected to the natural world and to the elemental things that women are somehow transcendent. And he loved this kind of grand medieval two-dimensional willowy, willowy kind of yeah, woman mean, character. Even Arwen is. Yeah. Arwen's like that. Yeah. Eowyn is pretty much like that in a different way. Like she just is a little bit of machismo. Added. She is the shield maiden, you know, she's, yeah. she's, she's not really a character. Like she's just this force that sort of needs to be tamed and it's fine. You know, Tolkien's job wasn't to write, great women characters but so i had to say you really liked goldberry and how she wasn't any of this i loved her yeah goldberry's <laughs> great <laughs> i think goldberry's sturdy milkmaid <laughs> goldberry's the worst of the yeah. lot <laughs> like i'll take one character like that and let's make it yeah. gladriel i'll well, take two characters like that let's get a one in there but then to have goldberry just be another one of tolkien's and also one thing that he handles a little clunkily at times is this transition between just the normal speech of the hobbits into yeah. their more noble dignified speech yeah, so like yeah. when frodo first sees goldberry he says like fair lady goldberry <laughs> you're like trying to imagine how would you do that and like how do you imagine the hobbits just suddenly adopting this fair lady there's not supposed to be any humor to it like it's not supposed to be silly but they're just trying to adopt this sudden change in the way they speak it's yeah it's strange i i, I will say anytime frodo pulls something like off like that i feel really good yeah. As a reader, because I'm just because I because he's my surrogate, and if he's like cool enough to be able to kind of keep up with the awesome the people, yeah, that's that always makes me feel good. Okay, just like I concurrently feel bad when Pippin throws rocks and Gandalf's like throw yourself in next time, moron. Yeah, like if my surrogate character does something, gets something like that right, I'm like, yay, good for him. <sighs> well, guys, we haven't even gotten to Rivendell. We'll get there next but time. We'll get there next time, and maybe we'll get all the way to the what's the name Mines of that river? Of Moria. The Mi well, Anduin. I'm, I'm hoping we'll get through the Anduin. I'm hoping we'll get to we'll we'll finish up this book next time. I know we're not going to finish up this book. We still got lots of chapters to go. Well, we've still got two parts. The we road always... goes ever on and on. Okay, yeah, maybe next time, depending on how the conversation goes, we'll get all the way through the Fellowship of the Ring. We'll certainly aim for it, but we want to give these books the attention that they deserve, and we want to give our Patreons the shoutouts. All you Patreons that out there. they deserve. All of our Patreons. Booking only has one Patreon, but we have several patrons, as Jake points More out sarcastically with his Gandalf-like wit. Now. <laughs> Fool of an Albuson. <laughs> Fool of an Albuson. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, pay for your own Patreon. <laughs> okay. Let's see here. Guys, this is going to be fun. All right. This is what I want to do. Super simple. I'll say the person. Yeah. And then Brandon, you say donor, and then Jake, you say shout out. Oh, that sounds awesome. I can do that. Do it. All right, let's, let's do, do it as fast as we can. All right, Nathan, Robert, go. Robert around to the lovebirds. Donor, shout out. The artful Anthony Dodger. Donor, shout out. Little Anthony Cigar Store. Donor, shout out. Not that easy, is it, boys? Donor. See, you came in early there, Brandon. Hadn't <laughs> even said the name. The Immortal Tulsi. Donor, shout out. Jimmy Beam and the Little Anthony. Donor, shout out. Lily Valley. Donor, shout out. Internet of the Lovebirds. Donor. Shout out. The Keith Master. Donor. Shout out. Keith, uh, oh, not that easy for me either. It's like the Budweiser commercial. <laughs> David's Mighty Men Trucking. Donor. Shout out. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Donor. Shout out. Jade and Katie who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis including till we have faces. Can we make this more challenging? Sure. You say it, then I have to say donor. He has sis shout and you have to say out. Yeah, that's fine. And we really like Budweiser. I, 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 I have my doubts. 
Jane and Katie, who are cold and love cheese and also CS Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Donor. Shout out. We got to make it faster than that. Fairy Princess of the Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Donor. Shout out. Console Prime Adam. Donor. Shout out. Jeremy the Dark Headed Lord of Death. Donor. Shout out. Nathan, not me. Donor. Shout out. Maya. Donor. Shout out. Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Donor. Shout out. Danny the Dude. Donor. Shout out. DJ Sammy G. Donor. Shout out. Benny Danny Tiberius. Donor. Shout Eric and Catherine from Yahoo. Oh. Oh. I get 100 points. That's how you do it. It's like golf. Yep. You don't want them points. Oh. You don't? No. You know who invented it? You know that Took invented the game of golf? Yeah. Chopped the King Goblin's head off and went down a hole. That's right. And, uh, that's the, the King Goblin. Goblin, not the Goblin King. No, I think King it was Goblin. King Goblin. <laughs> you guys have never listened to any King Goblin? King They're great. <laughs> One of my favorite fantasy metal bands. Uh, <laughs> true story. I do like a band called Goblin, but they're not called King Goblin. Now, where were we? Did I say Eric and Catherine from Beyond Window Breaks? Donor. Shout out. Professor and Lady X. Donor. Shout out. Lavender's green. Dylan, Dylan. Dylan Lavender's green. Lavender's green. Dylan, Dylan. I love you too. Donor. Don't shout. Chill out. <laughs> I jumped You're on really James. bad at this. I am bad at this. I knew I'd be bad at it. That's why I have you guys do it. No constructor. Donor. Shout out. Mary Cheap. Donor. Shout out. The Fair and Fragrant Maiden Chloe. Donor. Shout out. Six Pack Zach with the mean attack and Catherine with the knack for laying down the smack. Donor. Shout out. Anthony, who's cold and loves life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. Donor. Shout out. Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Donor. Shout out. Rachel. Donor. Rachel. Rachel. Donor. Shout out. Leopard Tank Thomas. Donor. Shout out. Midnight Ninja Allen. Donor. Shout out. Queen Congetta. Donor. Shout out. Return of the Jedediah. Donor. Shout out. Jay Bracken Ruin. Donor. Shout out. Timothy the Rider at Dawn. Donor. Shout out. Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are warm and love bees. Donor. Shout out. Matty, 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 Donor. Shout out. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Donor. Shout out. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness, and Laura, the Keeper of Eternal Light. Donor. Shout out. Cold Steel Cody. Donor. Shout. Jacqueline. Out. Out. Vile Jelly. Sorry, folks. I was just getting rid of some jelly. It was vile. Now... <laughs> Jacqueline, the librarian librarian. Oh boy, sorry, Jacqueline. Your second time at bat and I didn't get it right. Jacqueline, the librarian barbarian. Donor. Shout out. And of course, a hell. No. Wait. I'm not giving you. Not doing. <laughs> of course, now it's time for Brandon <laughs> to write some much needed context on our next donor. <laughs> Actually, you could because they're personal friends of ours. They are. Yes, they are. And they are new to the booking. And I'd like to welcome a hail and hearty welcome to the new. I have to come up with this? No, you have to say the word donor. Donor. <laughs> We're going to give a new donor shout out to John and Tennille, whom I have chosen to call John Bombdiggity. No, I think I'll go with Bombdigga. John Bombdigga. Why not John Bombadil? John Bombadil. And Water. No, Brandon, we respect them too much for that. Tennille. Tennille Berry. Tennille Berry. Gold. Gold Neil? Yeah. <laughs> John Bombadil and Tennille Berry. Gold Neil fought James Bond, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> Jane, James Bond. John bon-, bon Jovi and Tennille the Captain. Well, yeah. I was going to go with John Bomb. <laughs> I, I actually don't mind John Bombadil. 
That's John not Bombadil. bad. John right. Bombadillo. John Bomb Bombadillo. Okay, we're going to go with John. We're going to combine all of them. John Bombadillo Bomb Diggity. John Bombadillo Bomb Diggity. And Captain Tennille, his right. mate. John Bomb John Bombadillo Bomb Diggity. And, and Captain, Captain Tennille, his mate. his mate. There we go. <sighs> Welcome to the show. John Bombadil. Well, that's gonna be hard to say. John, John Bombadillo, Bomb Diggity, and Captain Tennille, his mate, donor. Or, no, donor. Sorry, let's do it. No, stop. Uh, stop. <laughs> okay. All right. And a hearty, hail and hearty welcome to John Bombadillo, Bomb Diggity, and Captain Tennille, his mate, donor. Shout out. Nice. Beginning today, written and produced by J.R.R. Tolkien. He actually predicted this entire podcast, wrote a script for it, and Brandon just dropped his phone on some concrete. Is your phone okay, Brandon? My phone is just fine. Ah, I'm glad to hear it. You want to support this thing, this podcast? I'll tell you what you do. You go to patreon.com forward slash T-H-E-B-O-O-K-E-N-I-N-G, and you sign up, you give some money, we keep the lights on. Thanks, folks. We love you. We'll be back, I think, with more Lord of the Rings next week. And then after that, we're going to get Trumpet of the Swan, which is a weird book. And then we're going to do some Moon and Sixpence, which is also a weird book. And then maybe more Lord of the Rings and then some of the other books that are on our list. We forget what they are. We forget what they are. Dakota Mockingbird's in there somewhere. Yeah. Cindy killed Blue Jay, but killed as many Mockingbirds. I got that wrong, didn't I? Mm Mm-hmm.